Asking Eve, the regular podcast brought to you by Emily and Lara, the mother-daughter duo behind Advancing Eve. Our podcast series will bring you a variety of conversations with girls and women who are just like us and you, making their way through life. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to our Advancing Eve podcast. I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined by Dr. Antoinette Cameron Pimlet. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for giving us your time today. Can I just start off by saying huge congratulations on your PhD? I mean, that oh, thank you. title is just, just great. And you definitely have the most awesome name of any doctor. <laughs> I, I <know. laughs> um, oh, thank you so much. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about your experiences um, coming through yeah. the different levels of academia. But just to start off with, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how we came to be recording this podcast today? So we came to be talking to each other today because, as you just mentioned in the intro, I recently passed my PhD. So when I passed, I did a bit of a LinkedIn post um, that I put up thinking nothing will ever come of this. If someone sees it and is just a bit maybe encouraged by their own child, you know, having learning difficulties. That's what I thought. Maybe it'll just touch one person and change one person's perspective, perhaps. And then the thing blew up. Really? And as the kids would say, I guess it's gone viral. I don't know <laughs> what you call it. Like, you know, there's TikTok clouds and Instagram fame. I don't know what you call it on um, LinkedIn. Yeah. But, uh, yeah it's, and then that you got in contact and that's how we're talking today. Um, and then other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm from Liverpool originally. Um, I'm down south at the moment. I've just completed the PhD in reproductive health. Wow. Um, my focus is um, Turner syndrome, uh, which is a genetic condition affecting only females. Males, that's right. Um, got some experience of that in our family, uh, actually. With Turner syndrome? Yes, uh-huh, yeah. Um, oh! So how strange, but anyway, yeah, so that's really How strange. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I study what happens to these women, uh, as these girls, as they turn into women. And uh, that's been my kind of my life's work has been working with these women and call it characterizing what happens to them when they get older. So I was very, I've probably seen more uh, women and girls with Turner syndrome than most doctors, which is really unusual. So yeah, that's, that's my line of work. Very interesting. So, I mean, that does sound very intense, um, but let's yeah. wind it back a little bit and tell me a little bit about your dreams when you, when you were growing up. You know, when you were 10 years old, what would you have said your dream job would have been? Do you know, by the time I was 10, I've been kind of labelled at school. So the last time I can remember actually feeling like, uh, you know, when you're a kid, like literally four or five, because someone goes, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, would, I, I would always say, I want to be a doctor and an archaeologist. And in a wow. weird way, I'm in genetics and I am a doctor in some sense. So it's, it's a bit strange that you have that, actually that come dream. back full that full circle uh-huh. and I've managed to do that yeah so that's that's what I always I was always interested in uh, not you know the way some people really drill down into the, the core stuff like uh-huh. uh, some people are really interested in like chemistry and numbers and all of that kind of, I was more interested in the way things all link together to make the bigger picture that's what yeah. I was always interested in 
And so, um, like, I was always watching David Attenborough documentaries as a kid. Not in, like, a, a serious, intense way, but just, like, that's what I remember most is having always having that kind yeah, of stuff so on in the background. In, in all of it all, yeah. So you'd have been the yeah. kid that was always going, why, why, why? Right, exactly. <laughs> I always have my head up looking at the clouds going, well, everything's all, like, at the trees. I remember looking at trees when I was growing up and thinking, I understand what they are and I understand that there's something bigger than me going on. I just don't understand the words for it yet uh -huh, and I don't uh -huh. understand how it's all connected. Yeah. And that's, that's something that still fascinates me to this day is, yeah. you know, I, I love to research stuff and find out how different things work together. So I'm, I'm a massive geek, I guess. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> going to say that, but you know what? I think yeah, it's if you want to give you. me yeah. some kind of, yeah, it's fine. I am a bit of a geek, yeah. <laughs> so you've, you've mentioned learning difficulties there, but yeah. looking back, do you feel particularly in primary school as a starter because it, it, it's such a foundation foundation yeah. for your kind of you yeah. know, future years did you get the feeling that people were already labeled um, in school as being either you know clever or something else so you were either 110 percent music yeah did yeah. you get a sense of that yeah and the bad thing was is um you had the clever kids, even in primary school. Mm -hmm. I can even re still remember the top five clever people in my wow. year at school. I can still remember them. And um, they have PhDs. No, actually, <laughs> funnily enough, they don't. Um, and then, <laughs> no one else can see what I'm doing here. I I'm putting my hand under my chin and rocking my head back and forth like right, right. a little diva. <laughs> Um, so uh, yeah I can remember those kids and I also remember the arty kids as well and I remember thinking well if I'm not oh and the sporty kids you also had as well mm -hmm. and so I wasn't sporty because I've got dyspraxia um, I wasn't creative because I've got dyspraxia <laughs> I can't draw <laughs> I can't paint I can't even fudge something together <laughs> and it, I wasn't I wasn't like say typically smart I couldn't um you know, when I was little, little, I could read and write at the age of an 11-year-old when I was about four. Wow. So I was very advanced because my mum put a lot of time into that. And obviously, when you have a long name, you can't go into nursery and hold up the whole class as you learn to write your name. <laughs> so mum spent a lot of time with me at home making sure I had those skills. But what actually happened is we moved to... Um, we moved from inner city Liverpool to um, outside, just outside. And um, it was during that transition when I moved to a new school that my grades fell through the ground. Right. And, I, and I was put in reading classes, extra I went to Kumon, which is a Japanese, I think it's Japanese learning style. For maths, I went to this, I went to that. I had every tutor under the sun privately as well. And I was really put into that box of Antoinette's chassis. Antoinette's lovely, but she doesn't try hard enough or she doesn't engage. She likes to talk. That was another one, as you yeah. can tell. I'm still chatty. So familiar. Um, yeah. So it was all, yeah, but it was all of these kinds of labels that, that really set in my mind before I even got to high school uh -huh. that I was not academic and I wasn't. Um, 
not um not particularly when I went into high school I just knew I wasn't academic and it was very much established to me that I'm I was only in school to socialize that's oh. that that was it yeah I wasn't you know my mum and dad bless them they put me in all the different classes and they didn't put any pressure on me they just says did you try your best and I went I'll go yeah or I'd admit, because they were so casual about it, mm-hmm. I'd go, no, I, to be honest, I didn't even study for that one. And they go, well, what did you expect then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you well, know? Sounds like they've so, been awesome parents, though, you know, really. Yeah, parents. you know, they, they, they've been, in terms of that kind of stuff, they've been great, really, really great. I mean, they had so much of their own stuff going on, you know, um, the fact that they recognised some, but the, there's some there's some stuff that parents should do and there's some stuff that the school should be doing because if you're in school eight hours a day it's the the role of the school to pick up on stuff so um you know I wasn't diagnosed till I was 24 or I wasn't someone said to me the other day don't use the word diagnosed use the word discovered okay so I, I was discovered to be neurocognitively different or diverse uh-huh. that's what they say now um at the age of 24 so not till much later and and when I was in high school the teachers used to say all the time Antoinette is lovely but so my parents just stopped going to parents evening and one of my teachers even told me my dad not to expect anything from me I wasn't going to go anywhere in year seven oh my goodness that is harsh yeah that's harsh so how he was awful yeah and I mean that really is sad to hear um you know and I'd love to be able to say oh well you know that was a good few years ago but you know I've probably got a very similar situation with my son I I stopped going to parents evening because I I just knew that that system did not fit him properly at all so he's 16 and he's just left school at fourth year and it and it's not because I don't think he's academically capable. I know that that school system is not going to get the, the most out of him. So I'm, we've together made a decision, right, we need to find you a different path. And I think exactly. that, you, know, you have to kind of be a bit brave because you're not conforming. But um, you've got to step outside the box yeah, sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And and I'm so yeah, go on. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, having gone through that, how did you feel as an individual? Like, did you feel that that air you know primary school early secondary school labeled you or conditioned your own assessment of your ability and if it did oh, how did you count yeah. that um I definitely um year seven year eight and year nine um I can remember I felt stupid mm-hmm. I, I honestly I felt stupid I didn't get stuff I didn't learn the way people did and I didn't get concepts the way people did. People just go, yeah, understand that, write that down in a test. And I'd be like, um, and it was actually my uncle who used to say, Antoinette can tell you everything. She just can't write it down on paper. Mm-hmm. I, but no one, I think maybe because it was the early 2000s. And I remember there was a bit of a, a scandal at the time about a lot of kids getting diagnosed um, found sorry diagnosed discovered. found <laughs> discovered to be having these you know dyslexia and there was you know uh, as with um, ADHD yes. did probably about 10 years ago uh-huh. same same kind of thing there was a big flurry of um, kids getting found to have these conditions and so um, there was a bit of backlash towards that and I, I think I was in the midst of that because um, my parents would be like well she hasn't got dyslexia don't be saying that 
mm-hmm. because she's she's very capable she can speak really well uh-huh. but i just don't think because i was masking it basically they call it masking whereby you pretend a lot of stuff and you rely on different parts of your brain to get you through different yeah, parts all these so, coping strategies that you develop exactly. for yourself yeah 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 so I was de- developing these things and I remember in year nine, it, you've just done it with y- your son, obviously you do your, your GCSE picks. Is mm-hmm. it the same up in Scotland? They're not, no, but uh, yeah, the equivalent for yeah. us would be national fives. Yeah. 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 So you, you go from, you, you, you've been doing history, art, DT, food tech, you've had your whatever 15 subjects that you take uh-huh. and then you, you whittle it down to your GCSEs which is about 10 isn't it or something and they sat me down and I was in but not bottom mid sets for everything or just below mid sets which is your your graded classes I was never in the top classes yeah and uh, you get your little meeting about like what you want to do and I was I I said forensic scientist I was like I want to be a forensic scientist didn't know at that point I did not have the stomach for that (laughs) <laughs> discovered that at uni much later that I have a terrible stomach but that's a, di- a different story and then um basically they said Antoinette with your grades you will not be able unless you achieves a miracle you will not be able to take this combination of GCSEs so I was like okay and I went home and I studied from Christmas to the summer exams which would have been the SATs at the time. I had to take SATs, and they would they would use those uh, exams, which just to to anyone who doesn't know what they are, they're the English grading system that okay. you know they do in year six and then year nine. Okay. So I had to do them, um, and I came out on top in science, on top in English, and I got middle in maths which was amazing for uh-huh, me uh-huh. middle in maths was like basically getting That's a celebration. Was, yeah. I don't know my times tables so that was a that was a miracle honestly sure does Lara. <laughs> <laughs> and so um basically um when the the so I did this massive achievement and the teachers were all patting me on the back and then um they sat me down and said, so you've chose this combination of GCSEs. You want to do biology on its own. You want to do PE, drama and English. And they went, we'll let you do. We'll, we will let we'll you let do. You. Exactly. Because your maths isn't high enough for you to take a biology and PE. Oh, but it was biology was the one that we weren't going to let me take. And I went home and told my mum and dad, and it was all to do with timetable. It didn't suit their timetable. And yeah, you, yeah, you had to pick subjects that were in block A, B, C, and D right. and alternates. Do you remember that? I so, do, yeah. so the, basically the combination that I picked, even though it was an option and I did it right, didn't figure, um, figure out in their timetable so I went home and told my mum and dad they went in and just said we'll just stick her in higher higher maths and they were like no we can't do that she won't pass and they were like well if she's only got to get 50% on a higher paper and she scores middle surely she should just do it anyway yeah basically packed us up and moved us off to Spain where I could go to a private school and I got to do all the GCSEs that I wanted to do wow really yeah and that was that was um that was 
that was the real changing point realizing if I put in because I basically in that time that I was studying to pass those sats I developed this whole system of working with images and instead of uh, using words I don't know I didn't read anything about this is back in the days of the internet you couldn't really google anything I think it was Ask Jeeves so I, I developed a new coping mechanism that he was useless as well so, it, <laughs> so um, I developed mechanisms of like making flow charts because I realized if it was in a picture I could understand it even though the picture had words in it I could yes. close my eyes and visualize the picture. So you're a visual learner. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so going from realizing that I wasn't stupid was a one turning point. And then when I went to this private school, and because it was with much more attention to students, um, and to, to be honest, a private school in Spain is not like private school over here. It's basically just English school, that, but you pay to go because it's an English school. Yeah. Um, but because it was such a small class, teachers gave me attention. If I didn't like a subject, I dropped it and changed it for another one wow. because I was paying for it. Well, mum and dad were paying for yeah. it. And so I walked out of there with GCSEs that no one thought I could achieve in England. Yeah that changed my life and and then did you come point. back to England after that then? yes yes so we came back from England two years later um because my uncle who I mentioned had cystic fibrosis and he got poorly mm-hmm. which is what happens with people with cystic fibrosis so um then I did my a-levels now the jump from GCSE to a-levels is terrible yeah <laughs> and then that's when I fell down again I failed after my first year because I to be honest, I, d- I didn't really try at my GCSEs because no one was expecting me to, because my parents were very laid back about it. Yeah. They weren't being like, oh, look at this thing that you did and let's do better. They just said, we'll just keep doing what you were doing because obviously it worked. It worked, yeah, yeah. And so, and I didn't even have any private tutors in Spain. All the teachers helped me much more. Yeah. So my parents didn't have to pay extra stuff and yeah. it was great for them too. And then when I went over to do my A-levels, I failed that first year. I only passed English just about somehow. And so what weirdly happened during that time, I decided to join the Navy, which gave me the goal. Yeah, I know. I've had the weirdest life. <laughs> I love it. I know, if, you, if you've been told constantly, you, you're not going to be a lawyer, that might yes. have interested me being a lawyer. It's a very research-based job. Yeah. I'm not going to be the forensic scientist that I wanted to be. Yeah. I got told that you, you won't be a scientist. You won't do that. Um, all of this kind of stuff. Well, traveling in the Navy and, you know, that whole camaraderie. And uh, also when you've got, you know, dyslexia and dyspraxia, like organization and rigidity becomes part of your coping mechanism okay, even though it's, it fits well yeah yeah so comfortable my, in that environment exactly so that for me made sense is so my uncle you know said well you need your a-levels to go in at officership yes. that's what you have to do yeah and so i um i failed the first year and then because and then i had that english one so because of the way it worked I had to reset two ASs, but complete my A2. So I wasn't in school as much as other people. Okay. And because I got to spread it out, 
it really helped me yeah. and also I'd already learned all the material the year before okay so I passed that year with flying colors right. and then the next year was just on new material uh -huh, uh -huh. and so that was great for me and actually it's something that should be considered probably for all neurocognitively different people yeah. is that to spread out your ed education as I've accidentally on accidentally done yeah you yeah. know um has you're been right. great there, there should be flexibility in the model shouldn't there because yeah you know there are different learning styles and there are different um considerations of the individual yeah. i mean the, the education system I and mean, this is we're not here to kind of belittle or you know disparage the education system but I do oh no no it's very rigid isn't it and if you don't fit it's that so model, rigid yeah yeah if, yeah if it's so rigid that you're labeling people at but at 11 years old as stupid and non-academic and, and the, then they the go impact. on to get a PhD I know, I know you know you're doing something wrong God. clearly I'm yeah, yeah. it's it's wrong uh, to, to label people like that but um yeah I didn't end up in the navy <laughs> <laughs> I failed that as well I failed that so the filling to, in the UCAS form, how did you feel like, you know, like I'm going to go to uni and filling in that form and submitting that? I mean, you must so, have felt like, oh yeah, that's that. I've brushed that off my shoulders, you know. No, no. See, that's the thing. I was, during that two years, I was so focused on joining the Navy uh -huh. that when I failed, you had to go for a two-day course. And at the end of the two-day course, they tell you whether you've been accepted into the officership program for the Navy. Okay. And it's got psychometric tests, oh, which hates them. People with dys dyslexia and dyspraxia notoriously fail, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So I failed them, obviously, because I didn't know I had learning difficulties. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so then uh, I literally, I come back from that and I felt like a failure. I remember at this point, I've had three years to do A-levels. All my mates are in uni at this point, mm -hmm. getting on with their lives. I'm at home, mm -hmm. you know, that, what a loser that person is. You know, now I've failed the Navy. Yes. I'm like, oh my God, my life, what is this? And my uncle, who was a massive influence in my life, died. <gasps> oh God, my voice went then, sorry. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> so um, he passed away and, um, you know, you must have felt lost. I was lost. I was beside myself. So roughly what uh, age would you have been at this point then? Oh, mm, I was 18. Yeah. Uh, 18, 19, 19 I would have been. And so... Um, and quite a I, pivotal time, that age, isn't it? It really is quite yeah. a pivotal time because yeah. you're, you're needing to become an adult and, and almost demonstrate yeah. to the world that you're capable of being an adult. Exactly, exactly. And then let's not forget the recession hit. Yes. So getting a job was hard. And so, you know, I'm cobbling jobs together to meet full-time hours. And so when I come back from the, uh, the Navy thing, I got really, really ill. I got tonsillitis. So I was in bed for like 10 days, basically, because it was a terrible case. Mm. And uh, I basically remember looking at my A-levels and I went, I got a B in biology, a C in English, and I got a D in Spanish. And I I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to because what my mum always said to me and my dad, do something you like and do some, or do something you're interested in or something that you love. And if you happen to be good at it, that's usually the case. Yeah. And that's kind of a rule of thumb that I kind of followed throughout. 
and that's how I ended up picking biology, English and Spanish as my A-levels uh-huh. is because they were all things that interested me having lived in Spain as well. So Spanish mm-hmm. was an easy one, but obviously I couldn't write Spanish. That's why I got a D. I got an A in the speaking. In the and speaking, a D in yeah. The speaking. <laughs> like me with my higher French. <laughs> yeah, we've got the speaking part down irrespective of the language. Eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got the gap inside. <laughs> it's everything else that's a nightmare. Um, and so I just went B biology and I, I just went all my te- all my biology teachers loved me because I loved the subjects and they always said are you sure you don't want to go to uni are you sure and I was like miss I'm not going to get anywhere that's what I would say they were like why did you say that I was like because everyone has always told me that always and so I just picked it I thought this is you know this is my option and thank god that I did because the recession then hit terribly uh-huh. and so I just worked and that year between submitting me U- UCAS application me feeling like a massive failure and that this was my plan this wasn't even my plan this was planned I've gone on to plan f by this yeah, point probably yeah. and so um that year of working and you know being in bars and restaurants and being like this is hard work I- I'm so glad I've picked to go to uni Mm-hmm. because of everything that was going on and then when I got to uni it was like this was where I was meant to be the whole time really? yeah so that was yeah be the next question did you feel yeah. like in uni you still had to kind of justify your your presence there but clearly it was like a duck to water for you yeah, well, yeah no, um I think because we went from you know you've gone from year seven you're taking what 12 15 subjects then you go on to 10 subjects Mm -hmm. then you go on to three subjects and if you notice my grades get higher and higher and higher each time I like to be specific about stuff yeah I don't like bits and pieces and as I said before I like to understand things and how they relate to each other so with the biology taking the um the ecology in combination with say evolution in combination with and that's all the stuff that I picked was all the bigger processes nothing uh, or like immunology molecular biology all of this stuff and seeing how the world related to each other Uh how everything organisms related to each other it was like jigsaw pieces going together in my head with bits of information that were already there from years ago, years ago from when from I was a kid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it, don't get me wrong, it was still really hard. But I did, for someone who was told, my, my mum and dad would be like, how's uni going? And I'd go, oh, we got him. I got a first on this. And they were like, what's a first? Neither my parents went to uni. I was like, that's the best you can get. And they were like, uh-huh. what? I was like, <laughs> Apparently, I'm good at uni. <laughs> it was a, I was a genius and nobody knew. <laughs> me? Oh, I, mean, I mean, I failed one subject during a BSc. And so, uh, but what I did notice through, throughout uni is, again, I liked the genetic side of things. Yeah. And so, again, I applied my principle of, you know, what is good and what is interesting to me. And so I'd already met my husband by that point he was my boyfriend and he got a job down in London and we were living together so I thought I'll just apply for some master's programs I got a Uh 2-1 I was two marks off that first which still irks me to this day that I didn't get that first but um, 
yeah, she's got a PhD, but she's more honest about <laughs> the two ones. Excuse my language. You're absolutely right. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, just um, applied for this, uh, you know, and these big universities. So there was Nottingham, which is really good in this field for uh, human molecular genetics. That's what I wanted to go into. Kings and Imperial. Uh-huh. And I said, that's the subject I want to take only three places want to do it and obviously with my uncle passing away of a genetic disease I felt really passionate about it uh-huh. yeah. and so um I got the approval letter and I just couldn't believe it so and some, then some that, big names in terms of edu- high yeah. educational institutions they are. yeah exactly and then when I got that letter I moved down to London oh my god London like mm. didn't want to be there Mm. Uh, just big and scary and yeah you know not that I'm afraid from a leaving home or anything but it's not just not the, the place I imagined myself I think it was oh. and um, I remember getting the acceptance letter in a palm land <laughs> oh. <laughs> I opened it and I was like I got into Imperial like this. I was like, party, party poppers. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like between all the deodorants, mixing it, like figuring out how many deodorants I could afford that day or how much, you know, if ever, is everything truly a pound on this shelf, you know, making sure <laughs> we weren't very flush at the time. So, yeah, you know, yeah. every penny counted. And um, yeah, got that acceptance letter. And then that's when the learning side of things caught up with me mm-hmm. was when I went and did my master's yeah uh, yeah unfortunately and that's when the stigma of being where I'm from yes. and I had probably the worst 18 months of my life really but, yeah yeah well you know I, I've been in a lot of different situations and I've had a bit of a strange life that we've touched on a little bit, but that was a very dark period where like, you know, you're 23, you're in a new place and people are telling you, you don't fit in. You and shouldn't that, be and here. And that was what, because of your accent or because yeah. of, really? Yeah. Mm. I got told by someone, am I allowed to state the university's name? I don't think that's wrong, is it? Um, I'm definitely the wrong person to ask because I would just well, you can always that line, but <laughs> exactly. So I will mention it, and you you can always bleep it out. But uh, we were in the student union one night, and bearing in mind, I probably just moved back from Liverpool. I moved from Liverpool probably about six months before, so I hadn't been there long in London, mm-hmm. and uh, my friends bumped into a friend of his. We were all. Uh, imperial people in the union and um he says oh you're not very imperial are you <gasps> so me being who i am just went oh okay and he went yeah should we all hide the silverware and i went <gasps> oh okay oh yeah I, I, i've had it all I've, it's so weird it's you, just... like, you never actually think that that happens do you know what I mean like you hear of it urban legend style but like for somebody to oh. actually see and I bet oh. since then I bet you have replayed that conversation so many times and I bet you have got so many comebacks that you wish you could have gone back with oh yeah I, I was um I, I just went on okay if if that's the case I'm gonna be the scousest person you've ever met 
and it, that, it probably not I was like oh you're right kids like that uh-huh. smacking him on the arm and that and I, he was just like oh repulsed by me it was he, he, I was like this makes you more uncomfortable than it does me well because done. Brilliant. That is the only way. Because if I had said no, actually, um, I'm for, I was from the like closer to the inner city. Now I live in an, the outside. It's very nice where I live. Well, not yeah. that Liverpool's not nice. It's gorgeous. Absolutely. But you know, I live by the beach. Lots of people are surprised to hear that. I, I live by the beach. There's a squirrel reserve. It's not like what you think what you, it is yeah that kind of stereotypical or what you've been to- yeah. Yeah, yeah what you've been told by your parents what liverpool was like in the 80s in the let's 80s. say yeah, yeah exactly that's yeah. what i'm that's the image that people so yeah, yeah. um yeah and i got told i went to also went to a mixed lecture it was a statistics lecture so we all had computers and i was talking because i couldn't keep up <laughs> so i was talking to my mate and this girl next to me said, excuse me, are you from Liverpool? And I was like, eh, yeah, just about like, and she was like, eh, all right. And she went, it's funny, I've never heard another Scouse accent. And I was like, you're not from Liverpool? And she said, I am. I was like, where's your accent then? And she's like, oh, I learned how to uh, modify my accent for my environment. Yeah. Oh no, that's horrendous. What a shame. Like somebody felt they had to do that. And I cringed for me at that time because I was like, oh, am I not doing something correct here? You didn't, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but actually now I cringe for her. Yeah, absolutely. I feel I, I feel maybe not cringe, but I feel sad for her sad that for she her. felt like yeah. she had to do that. Uh-huh. Especially, yeah. Oh my but God. yeah, that's that's when everything kind of just became really rubbish for a, for a period of time so it's sometimes it's hard when you're living it to kind of think right this is just a period of time and it's a means to an end I just need to get yeah. get through this and then you know it'll pass but when you're living it on the day-to-day it can be quite hard can't it yeah and but- the thing was as well I felt like a failure and when I was in that environment because I wasn't being supported because I had things um different about me in terms of the way I learn and I wasn't being supported in that aspect I I had imposter syndrome I was like why am I here yeah I must have wrote some cover letter or personal statement in order for them to even look at me uh-huh. to to come here like so it was complete imposter syndrome that circle of negativity I honestly I had just a twisty dark place and said where my heart should have been right yeah I can, right sometime. in your core it was horrible yeah, yeah. yeah it was horrible so but yeah but it, that, that experience obviously didn't put you off studying so because you carried on and you got your master's and then you decided yeah to do a PhD you know how did that come about yeah so uh, basically I so I left left imperial or if you want to beef it out, wherever it was. <laughs> uh, and I, the first job interview that I went for was a research assistant job over at University College London Hospitals. Yeah. Uh, there was a professor there called Professor Conway who wanted to do some research on Turner's syndrome, advertised for this post. And I'd done a short stint in a similar post and I'd obviously my genetics experience. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of went, oh, I've got a ni- typical woman, 90% of this job description 90% matches this and I'm going to apply for that job I'm you know very much comfortable applying for this and thank god I did because I went to the interview 
and I got the job. He phoned, Professor Conway phoned me. I remember it again, you know, life, pivotal life moments. I was in Debenhams on the third floor on Oxford Street (laughs) at the home furnishings section. A wee bit Um, more money now. (laughs) We, you know, we've moved up in the world, you know, we're not in Poundland In Debenhams. (laughs) Might have to bleep that out and all. (laughs) Yeah, oh God, yeah. I'm just dropping well if they want to uh, sponsor you guys exactly. that might also be thank you yes we're always open to offers <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah so then I worked for Professor Conway for two two-ish years and at the end I, I noticed uh, I, I kept spinning little ideas to him like why don't we because we were c- collecting data during that time on these literally going through paper files of 850 women mm-hmm. and picking the data out to upload into a database wow and um then uh, I said you know I've got this idea we should look at the different genetic backgrounds of women with Turner's syndrome uh, and then look at their medical outcomes and prof was like it's kind of been done before and I was like well I thought we were the only ones with an adult cohort and he was like oh we are the only ones with an adult mm-hmm. cohort you're right so and then he turned around and he's like do you, do you did you ever think about doing a PhD and I was like me a PhD, PhD. in medicine uh-huh. and then I went home to Jamie my husband's and I was like hey prof made this really weird comment today that maybe I should do a PhD and he was like that's amazing. You should go for it. He's always, he's always my hike man, my husband. He's always like, yeah. And why wouldn't you do that? Oh, that's and I, I was like, well, maybe I should look at another job, try and get some more money. It's like, you are not going to get another opportunity where your boss is lovely. He lets you run your own time. He lets you do this and do that. He, t- he pays for you to go to conferences. He does all kinds for you. You're not going to get that. And I went, you know what? yeah you're right maybe I can do this and it was part-time as well so I had six years to do it yeah yeah so you didn't um, feel that same pressure yeah and I could always drop out if, if something changed in my situation and still get an MPhil which is uh-huh. what yeah. what they do first mm-hmm. and so that's where we went from there and then we had one paper on genetics then we had another paper on estrogen and then we moved into diabetes which is what uh, ended up being the overall message of the thesis and it took four and a bit years wow. but we we got there and definitely highs and lows poor poor Jamie didn't know what kind of woman he was coming home to whether it was the <laughs> devil or the angel and yeah that sounds so familiar I mean I, I just did the, my, my master's last year and um, okay. I did to uh, my husband who's also called Jamie who I call him oh, Jamie no well. um, and I had said about so I was looking at a DBA instead of a PhD and he's like no no because like one you know one minute you'd come home and I'd be crying on the table but yeah. I don't know why I'm doing this I think I think a master's is harder than a PhD no way yeah because if you think about it You've got a year to become an expert on something. You're going from a broad subject to a little tiny subject and you've got to get so specialised on that subject in that time with your lectures and stuff and then do your research projects or whatever or your your dissertation. And so that's a a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Whereas your PhD, you can take more time to ruminate on certain things and uh, there's actually, you know, 
I mentioned different elements of my PhD there, but there was probably six or seven analyses I didn't make into the PhD uh-huh. because you've caught them because you focus so much more on different aspects. Yeah, oh, interesting. I yeah, so it, I've never thought to look at it like that. Yeah, no, it's it. Well, I think that you, you have to be careful. You have to make sure you have the right supervisor. Sorry, uh-huh. I'm just going to grab a quick drink. You have to make sure that you've got the right supervisor right university as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ucl was amazing for me mm-hmm. much more cosmopolitan Aye. much more chilled out um you know <laughs> you'd have been one of the cool ones there then if it's cosmopolitan uh, you know like you know i added to the diverse absolutely like, i was like i was like one of the international students there yeah. you know? <laughs> and so uh, yeah and it, being in the the actual women's health department. It was really small. Um, Institute of uh, Women's Health is a it's quite small institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got our own building. I had a graduate tutor to support me. She convinced me to go into teaching. I ended up doing that. And so if you've got the right environment yeah. and pe- people who are like, oh, I see something in you. Can I suggest you do this? Or yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And then I ended up doing things that I never thought I would do in a million years. Oh, I mean, and that's the know, magic of a PhD. This sounds like the complete polar opposite of the environment mm. that you had in school. You know, you yeah, exactly. Everything that you need is there to nurture your talent, yeah. to support you, and to, yeah. to assist you to achieve. Yeah. Gosh, if you could only have had that, you know, in, in your if I was, Yeah, it, I think it would have made a difference, especially, I don't think. Uh, I, I'm outgoing, but internally, my thought pattern is very different. So what you see on the outside is not necessarily what's on the inside. I've got um, OCD as well. So, you know, um, I get into negative spiral twists quite easily. Easily. And so, you know, if if I say, for instance, I make a mistake and call someone the wrong name, I will wake up at seven, seven o'clock and just think about that all day you know yeah yeah. that's the type of person I am so to be in a positive environment is really something that helps me you know Uh, yeah yeah you just absolutely thrive on it yeah yeah yeah. so you're about to start a new job next week which sounds very exciting so tell us a little bit about that so new job is a clinical trials coordinator which is somebody who does like the ethics applications for trials like drug mm-hmm. trials yeah. and or research projects uh, and I'm gonna go over from women's health virtually to like 90% men's health now and I'm going into um, uro oncology which is penile testicular prostate bladder and kidney cancers wow. and I'm going to be setting up the trials at the Royal Marsden which is lovely very so nice got a 12 like there very intense again so yeah yeah <laughs> I, don't do, I don't do anything no by <laughs> and what about the studying I mean are you I think continually learning is obviously part of who you are yeah. and part of yeah. the world that you live in but I mean is there anything yeah. formal planned are you going to do anything else or Um, nothing formal planned at the moment it's more about spending time with family and Mm -hmm. friends and just really getting it it sounds really strange but a PhD becomes a part of you it's like your life is for you know four years of your life is this baby 
but you're like, you pray that someone's going to like it and pass you first time, you know, on your vice versa. So, um, you know, it's, it, this next year, I'm just trying to just get to know myself more than anything without it. It's to sound very cheesy, but yeah. No, I, I can I can totally understand that, and I think yeah. it seems like time well spent. So good <laughs> on you, you know, put yourself. Maybe try and do this reason for pleasure thing that people keep telling what me about. That? <laughs> what you? It's called trash TV. That's my that's my <laughs> antidote from the world. Very good, yeah. So if you uh, could speak to your ten year old self, what would you what would you tell yourself? I'd just say hang in there. You know, it's only going to, it will get better. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's just something that I tell myself all the time when I'm in like a negative, this is just now and it will pass. Yes. Yeah. I think that's but, such a good mindset. Yeah. Into it. I say it to my kids all the time because I do, yeah. I think we've you know already said, when you're living a moment, it can feel all consuming can't it and you, you oh, can't yeah. see an end to it but I think it's something that certainly has happened to me with age I can look back now and say all right if I had known that that was going to change it would have made it yeah. a lot easier so yeah I, think I always think wouldn't it be great to have a 30 year old mind but a 21 year old's body so you could do it <laughs> all over again <laughs> you should see me in my kitchen on a Friday night <laughs> <laughs> just to see me last night oh my god <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great so uh, just to kind of close up is there anything that you okay. would like to share with any of our listeners so as you know advance leave it's all oh. about supporting girls from about the age of 11 to 111 year old women you know if, if there's any kind of little gem that you'd like to share <laughs> little gem is that women need to support women uh, that's the only one you know that's why I was so keen to come on here I think it's an amazing thing what you're doing um and it's you know if you see someone who's you know in a situation so say I've been working with med students who I've supported through their projects and now we're great friends because I've supported them they've inevitably supported me now because they're my friends and so just as women band together support each other because you know we are on a different curve to men unfortunately and we need in order to make the playing field level we need to support each other definitely you know yeah yeah especially the young ones coming up let's give our our old advice to them (laughs) yeah for sure I think I think there's loads as well with that whole intergenerational thing eh? because you can't oh yeah 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 especially these days well, honestly, I cannot thank you enough. I mean, I know it was a total oh, no, random one so LinkedIn much, message. Can you do a podcast with me? But, yeah, I'm, I'm no, so love it. I love you random. Bye. 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 Bye.